Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community, and we would love the opportunity to connect with you in person. One way to do that is to join us in Dallas this September 24th through the 25th at the National Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. We'll be recording live episodes and joined by friends like Andy Crouch, Phil Vischer, and the leaders of this movement. Go to our website to register. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. You know, and I tell our team here all the time, God doesn't need us to do what we're doing, but he chooses to use us in this. And I think what an awesome opportunity for us to be used by God in such a way. And sometimes it's so easy, whether you want to say in our American Christianity or just our Christianity in general, we kind of start to make life about us. You know, God needs me. God really, you know, he's got to use me in this way. And that's just not the way it is. And so when you realize that God doesn't need you, then you're not really the owner. You're not the one in control. You're not the one driving things. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm not in that chair, then what chair am I in? And then you realize, no, it's a gift. He's choosing to use me. I get this opportunity to lead this thing. Hey, everyone. It's the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for downloading us again this week. We have another entrepreneurial adventure story for you today. This time, it features Brian Mosley. Brian is the president of Right Now Media. Now, if you haven't already heard of them, there's a really good chance that someone in your church has. They're basically the Netflix of Bible video studies. Their website, Right Now Media, has thousands of videos and resources, which they use to serve over 20,000 churches, schools, and businesses. Now, we're going to talk more about the work they do when we get into the episode. But before then, you're going to get to hear the story of how their team stewards the mission that they're on. Let's join the conversation now with Brian Mosley. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We've got a special guest with us today, Brian Mosley of Right Now Media. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you understand that we've got a lot of Right Now Media lineage with our staff. Justin Foreman, the Executive Director of Faith Driven Entrepreneur, worked with Brian for what seems like decades. And actually, maybe it doesn't just seem like decades. Maybe it was decades. It was decades. And Brian, along with Justin and that entire team at Right Now Media, have been in the faith and work movement for decades and have been interviewing key business leaders and growing a business of his own in the case of Brian. So really eager to talk to Brian about his experience as an entrepreneur, eager to talk to him about what he sees in the faith and work movement, where it's been, where it's going. But before we get started on that, we'd all love to hear a bit about your story. How'd you get here? Who are you? Where do you come from? Well, thanks. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the quick story is I work in an organization that's been around for 40 years. And my grandfather started it along with my dad. This was not what I necessarily thought I'd be doing in life. I liked, you know, hearing about what they were doing as things got started. But um, I figured I'd blaze my own trail somewhere. Thankfully, in college, a couple of really neat things happened to me, getting to go overseas for the first time. And I read Bob Buford's book, Halftime, and it just opened my eyes to, okay, God, what am I going to do now? You read halftime at age 20? I did. I, I always tell folks, you know, the tagline of that is moving from success to significance. I had no success to speak of, but I was really interested in the significance part. And so uh, it was really uh, an eye-opening, life-changing book for me. So 
I remember going, okay, God, what do I do with, you know, the skills and passions you've given me? And I'm now early 20-somethings, and um, what does that look like? And so, thankfully, this organization here allowed me to incubate some ideas, and it was already a media ministry, um, passionate about missions and mobilizing people to put their faith in action. I got a chance to come in nearly 20 years ago and kind of re- you know, invigorate that original mission and do it to the next generation. And then over the years, things have just grown into a broader media ministry. We get to serve a lot of folks around the world. Awesome. So we recently talked to Jenna Nardella, who's at Praxis, about the redemptive nonprofit. And she shared some really interesting things. And while we don't have a lot of non-for-profit groups on here, I'm always excited when we do. And you've been a not-for-profit that's in a little bit of a different model than what most people think of. When most people think of a faith and work ministry, they think of a model where a ministry might raise support as they go out and be missionaries. And yet you very much have a business model. You have a revenue stream. But I also know that you're not for profit. Talk to us through that and talk to us about how you see sustainability from a not-for-profit ministry and whether you ever see that in conflict. Yeah, I love the model that we're in. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, like you said, we are unique. We have a chance to, you know, just really work hard here as a team and try to put good business principles into practice and create something of value that somebody would pay for. And so therefore we get to generate the revenue. But like you said, we're nonprofit. So we get to take the revenue and any monies that you know are generated and just pour it right back into the mission, right back into what we're doing. And it keeps us very pure to what we're about, but it also allows us to get great, talented folks who are passionate and skilled and could work anywhere and they're getting to use those gifts here and they feel like it's with excellence and for a great purpose. So yes, our model is a subscription model. So we offer this subscription to churches and businesses and organizations. And when they subscribe, they get access to this huge library of content. And so our business is providing that content, providing that library and trying to serve those customers. And again, if we can provide enough value and they pay for it, then we get to keep doing it another day. So Brian, we've had guests in the past who've talked to us about generational transfer of businesses. And at 40 years young, you guys have seen your own transfers. And as a media company, you've had to stay relevant. So talk to us a little bit about how you've been able to manage throughout the years. And I know you you upended the business model because you had to and started over again. But take us through that pivot and then maybe leave us with a couple of ideas of as an organization grows, how does one see where the future is going and not get locked into the past? Yeah, I mean, we've gone through a couple iterations over our 40 years. Um, and we started with our delivery system being really broadcast and then uh, did that for 10 years and then switched to VHS. And there was a, a long season where it was VHS and DVD. And, and that was a sweet time. That was we knew what we were doing. We knew kind of how to budget and how to predict what the revenue would be and how to produce. And we just knew all the ins and outs of that. But about 10 years ago or so, we really began to sense that the next wave was going to be streaming and a digital distribution model away from that, you know, DVD physical model. And so I wish I could say we were real smart and strategic and had it all figured out and mapped out. Um, I, I think when I look back on it, honestly, we were probably young and dumb enough and just naive enough to go, you know, this seems like what we should do. Let's put all of it that direction and just work hard at it. And thankfully, when I look back on it, I mean, we were trying to make smart decisions. We were trying to put good people in place and trying to make sure things worked well. But I just think we took a risk and took a jump and got honored that jump. And we were really early on as far as a lot of organizations that were moving that model away from a physical model to a digital model. And so I just think we had that advantage of jumping first and going all in on it. Give us a little sense of track Netflix along with you. 
because Netflix had to do the same thing, right? They had to get rid of those little red envelopes and jump to the streaming model. Were you paralleling along with that? It was a pretty similar time frame, I would say. You know, the difference then and certainly the difference still today is that they're like a gazillion times bigger than us. And so, you know, when they were straddling a DVD and a streaming world, they did both for a while. And we did both for a very, very short amount of time and realized we just don't have enough resources to sell and manufacture and warehouse and ship DVDs and try to build out this online system and sell that and have the software you know, capacity available. So we realized pretty quickly, if we're going to succeed, we probably have to just go all the way in on the digital. So we just switched everybody from a physical model to a digital model. I mean, literally in our building, what used to be our warehouse, where we'd have you know several guys shipping boxes and sending things out, got converted into additional sales space and software space and just a room for people to actually build the infrastructure to go digital. So we couldn't do either or. And that was a big risk for us, but we just realized we got to go all that way. Brian, that's great. Incredibly unique. A nonprofit with a self-sustaining model, and you're certainly doing it at scale. So it's something like 20,000 organizations, 3 million people. And I want to push in on that a little bit more. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are chasing a big exit. And there's not anything wrong with making a profit or, to be clear, and having an exit. But a lot of times, focusing on that big exit can be a distraction. It changes the way that we manage the business. Your steward and company could be worth tens of millions of dollars or even $100 million. And yet, because of how it's structured, there's no golden parachute for your IPO. It's a powerful example of stewardship. Do you regret structuring it that way? Do you see advantages, disadvantages? How do you think about it? And how's it changed the way you think about the business and ministry? How's that changed the way you lead? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a great question. And I would certainly agree there's nothing wrong with making a profit. There's nothing wrong with having a for-profit business. You know, our structure, because we're nonprofit, just allows us to really focus on that mission and focus on, you know, really accomplishing what we want to accomplish without feeling like, okay, there's some golden parachute or there's some, you know, big payday in the end. So, I mean, it absolutely changes the way I lead because I don't even have the opportunity to lead with an end in mind that is directly related to me. And so every day, as best we can, we're trying here just to lead with the thought of how do we accomplish this mission? How do we care for the team that's here? How do we carry out what we're doing? You know, I think for others starting out and trying to really launch into their business, I couldn't say what's the right model for you because I think there's not a right model that's going to fit everybody. Now, I think what's more important than the model is probably just the mindset. Uh, How do you really think about this business, this opportunity is something that, yeah, on paper it may say I own it or on paper it may say that I'm the president But at the end of the day, I'm just a steward here. I'm just doing what God's asked me to do. He's put people in my care. He's put these ideas in our team's head. And he's asked us to carry this out and do it to his glory, you know, to do it with excellence, to do it as an opportunity to worship who he is. And so, again, I don't think there's one model that fits everybody, but I think a mindset of stewardship can certainly be available to anybody, no matter the model of your business. I've heard you speak in a number of different settings and heard you sort of opine on the difference between stewardship and ownership and the importance of understanding what those terms mean for a business. Would you mind just to riff on that for a little bit and talk about your own perspective of stewardship and ownership? Yeah, I certainly. And I mean, again, I have nothing against a for-profit model, but I go back to the model that we have as a nonprofit and it just keeps me accountable to it. So I realize I'm not an owner. I'm literally physically not an owner of our company. And so I have to make decisions every day, not based on 
what would this mean for me as the owner, but really what does it mean for me as the steward? So I love that I have these guardrails that keep me accountable to that. You know, and I tell our team here all the time, God doesn't need us to do what we're doing, but he chooses to use us in this. And I think what an awesome opportunity for us to be used by God in such a way. And sometimes it's so easy, whether you want to say in our American Christianity or just our Christianity in general, we kind of start to make life about us. You know, oh, God needs me. God really, you know, he's got to use me in this way. And that's just not the way it is. And so when you realize that God doesn't need you, then you're not really the owner. It's, you're not the one in control. You're not the one driving things. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm not in that chair, then what chair am I in? And then you realize, no, it's a gift. He's choosing to use me. I get this opportunity to lead this thing or to give direction to this thing. But at some point in the future, it's not going to be mine anymore to, you know, even steward. And so how do I set it up well, even for the next generation to take the reins and move forward there? So I think, again, for me, thankfully, I've got this physical corporate structure that kind of keeps me accountable to it. But even when interacting with other friends of mine who are business owners, I love seeing and hearing from them this idea that, you know, you can tell they may have the word owner next to their name, but at the end of the day, they even realize, you know, the people that are around me, God's entrusted these people to me. And so it's not just the cash, it's not just the physical resources, but even these people God's entrusted to me. How do I bless them, encourage them, coach them, see them flourish both here in my company, outside of my company? So I love seeing that in the friends of mine and their companies. And certainly we try to emulate that as well. I mean, even though people are here working in our organization, kind of with this mission model, this mission mindset, we still want to try to encourage them and help them to flourish. And, you know, you want them to be here as long as possible, but if they're not, you want them to succeed in the next chapter of life as well. And so that's, I think that's a part of a stewardship mindset is not thinking that it all revolves around me, but it really is about others. Any tips of advice you'd give to a young entrepreneur who's trying to keep their heart at that posture? I mean, I guess for me, it's, you know, just simply being around a lot of other folks. It doesn't necessarily have to be older, you know, business leaders, but it just other business leaders in general. It just helps keep me kind of grounded and keeps my perspective in line. And it's not that the others I'm around are doing it perfectly either, but there's just a sense of camaraderie. And so I think there's huge value in that community, just in that networking and that trying to listen and learn from each other, because we all need that. You know, I mean, every whether it's a professional athlete or whatever, that, you know, you need a coach, you need your peers to kind of hold you to it and keep your push going forward. So that, that's the way I look at it. I mean, that'd be my biggest advice or my biggest learning is just trying to surround myself with folks that I, I do trust and they're kind of journeying with me. That's great. Yeah, my pastor, a few years ago, he made us write in the beginning of our Bible, this story is not about you. <laughs> and it's kind of like something great when you when you open it up every time. And it's humbling to remember that. It's hard to remember that, I'll say for myself. And I think probably many entrepreneurs, many business leaders, right? We all struggle with performance-oriented views of God. And so I really appreciate you walking through that. And I'd want to segue that to another you know, attribute of God, which I see through Scripture, which is excellence. And so as you think about stewarding the company, especially in, let's call it the Christian content space, there might be people listening that have a negative opinion of that, right? They may think that that's been low budget or subpar in the past. If you're not familiar right now, media, that is definitely not the case with what you guys do. And I'd love to hear how you think about that. Talk about maybe why excellence matters, how you continue to innovate, and maybe some thoughts for how other entrepreneurs could see that through your story. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I mean, there are, I'm pretty sure this is an accurate statistic. I mean, there's more screens in our world than people, you know, and that, of course, hasn't always been that way, but we carry these screens around in our pocket and in our backpacks, and of course, we hang them on our wall. And so, I mean, everywhere you look now, there's screens. And so, culturally speaking, we are all pretty used to plugging into a screen and getting information and getting entertainment and 
So it's just everywhere. Now, you know, we set out 40 years ago on this journey to do media. And so way back then, that was not the case. But as time has marched on, we've kept media at the center of what we're doing. You know, like you're saying, the quality of that media becomes really important because there's so much of it now that people are consuming and used to seeing that the bar is set really high just for that kind of comparison factor. So we look at the excellence and the quality of production as I don't want to say more important than the message, because obviously the message you're trying to communicate is eternally important. But but boy, if it's not greater than it, it's certainly equal to the message. Because if you present kind of a, a great message, but the quality of production, the quality of the video and the engagement there is low, you're kind of speaking to your message, really. You're saying, hey, this wasn't a message worth really putting the time, energy and resources into to make it look great, sound great and come across at high quality. So we just believe that the quality of production should match the greatness of the message we're trying to communicate. And so we want to put as much as we're able to into that quality. And again, the comparison's out there, right? The world's looking at every other streaming service and every other you know media company that's out there. And so our competition in that regard isn't the next Christian group down the street trying to create something. It's NBC, it's Fox, it's Netflix, it's Hulu, it's everybody out there that's creating content. Now, we're not entertainment-driven as a media organization, so we also aren't trying to compete in a Hollywood type of format. And so we maybe get the benefit a little bit of people aren't sitting there saying, oh, well, right now media's movie wasn't as good as the latest Pixar movie. Well, we don't, we're not trying to compete in that entertainment world, but we do want people to watch the content and go, wow, that was a great message. And the quality around it really supported the, the value and, and significance of the message itself. And just give our listeners a little bit. So when you talk about the size of scope for people that aren't familiar right now, media, give us maybe some quick flyover statistics of maybe just what your business looks like from your perspective. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, our model is a subscription based model, but instead of going to individuals, we go to organizations. So to date, we have 20,000 organizations that subscribe to our library. Most of those are churches, about 18,000 or so are churches. The balance of that would be some businesses that are usually Christian led or Christian owned, as well as some schools, universities, you know, ministries. So we have those 20,000 organizations that subscribe. Our real heart and intention is to equip those organizations to put content in front of their people. And so from those 20,000 organizations, there's about 3 million people that have an account to Right Now Media. All those folks are typically leaders of some sort. Maybe they lead a small group. Maybe they lead a team at a company. Maybe they lead you know, a team within a school or a ministry. And so we're resourcing those people with content that they can turn around and disciple, equip, you know, do leadership development with the people that they're leading. And so we love creating content. And not only do we love creating it, but we feel like we have um, opportunity to create more than ever before because in the online streaming world, the pipeline's pretty big. So we can create a lot of content every year and find a good audience through the different channels we're serving. And then we partner with a lot of other great folks as well that have created content that we can help them distribute it to the audience we're serving. So at the end of the day, we're about trying to reach into the lives of those people, but we choose very specifically and intentionally to go through a school or through a church or through a business because they're the ones that have some influence and stewardship over those people. And so we can equip the organization to then in turn resource and mobilize their people. Of all the content you do, my favorite by far are the stories. And as you reflect back over your time at Right Now Media, what are some of your favorite stories? If you're going to point folks to stories that have encouraged you, inspired you from other entrepreneurs, what are those? 
Yeah, I totally agree with you, by the way. I mean, I think the stories are so powerful. I mean, that's one of our core values here is just that authentic stories just really do resonate with people. You know, you can put a great teacher on the stage or in front of people on a screen, and yet there's going to be somebody in the audience that kind of starts to go, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe them. But you put a real-life story in front of somebody, and everybody is going to be engaged and going, well, you know, you can't argue with that. That's what they experienced. That's what they went through. That's what they felt, and that's just powerful. So I'm with you. Stories are powerful. A couple that stand out to me... It was a handful of years ago, we got to do a story about the Green family, David Green of Hobby Lobby and then Steve Green and then Mark Green. And, you know, there's just hardly any more inspirational stories to me than what God has done through that family um, way back from the early beginnings of Hobby Lobby. And I can't help but watch a story like that. And we got to spend a good amount of time with them. And so the, the final piece there is about 30 some minutes long, which is longer than we have typically shot stories, but it's such a compelling one. And I just thought, this is a modern-day missionary story. You know, I mean, you can go to, to church or, you know, study missionaries from the past and go, wow, look at those pioneers that went into other parts of the world and took the gospel and did things that nobody else had done before. And and I look at the Green family and I just think, what a what an amazing story of running a great business, starting it from scratch in their, you know, home. And yet now they are such a mission force in the world. And so they're no doubt uh, among the top of just the stories out there that are so compelling. Another one this year we've got to film was with a, a much younger leader named Liz Bohannon and her company named Seiko is just a phenomenal story. And again, she, as she tells it, I mean, she wasn't you know, built for business or aiming for business her whole growing up or college career. She was actually a journalist, I believe. And, but she just talks about how she got exposed to some things that really compelled her to say, a business is the way I can have an impact in this world. And so she created this fashion and design business and it's just exploded. And so it's really cool to see this younger leader. I don't know how old this is. Let's say, you know, somewhere around 30-ish. And you just think, okay, that's encouraging to me to hear and see, you know, somebody of another generation, you know, different than a David Green generation, but another generation now saying, yeah, how do I use my business to not just create great stuff, but to empower and impact the people that are both consumers and my employees. And she's just doing a phenomenal job. So our team just loves spending time with those folks because it's a reminder of what God can do through creative and innovative people. Those are great stories. And we've had them both on our podcast too, and we can vouch for them. Tell us, you've got a big event that's coming up, and I actually want to shift gears a little bit to some of the things you see that are going on in the movement and where you see things headed. And presumably some amount of the conference that you all will do in May will hit at some of those themes. But mention the conference, and then just tell us about what you see on the horizon. What are the conversations that people are wrestling with? What are the themes that you see coming out? Where do you see God moving in the marketplace through right now? Media, the conference, and just in general. Yeah. Well, so yeah, to mention the conference, I mean, we, for the last seven or eight years, we've done a conference that we call Work is Worship, and it's really aimed at Christian business leaders, just trying to give them some inspirational and practical tools for how do they lead in their company as a Christian. We've done that for a number of years, just live here in Dallas to an audience that started at a couple hundred, grew to seven or eight hundred people, had a lot of fun doing that. But our passion all along has been, how do you get the church, you know, at large, to really embrace this message of faith and work. And so last year we, we did the same conference in Dallas and had a great attendance here, but the thing we did different was simulcast it to churches across the country. And we just, we get the chance again to serve a lot of these churches through Right Now Media. So we went to them and said, hey, you probably are used to hosting a marriage event or a parenting event, and that's great. Have you ever hosted an event for your business people? Could we supply you with the content 
and allow you to invite your business people in your church and in your community to your building and have this one-day event that's going to focus on how do you lead as a Christian business person. Again, we'll supply the content, but now you've, for maybe the first time, have actually gathered that unique group in the walls of your church. So we love the combination of, hey, there's a powerful force of business people out there trying to figure out how their faith can be at work every day. But the church, you know, still has an opportunity and should be at the hub of that. And so we love bringing those two groups together. So we'll do it again in May. Uh, Again, we're trying to bring together some folks like a John Maxwell or Henry Cloud that can offer some very good business and leadership principles. But then you're also trying to bring some folks together like a John Acuff or Stephanie Chung that have some good practical experience in the business world and have great insights of how do you do this? How do you lead well? So it's a combination of that practical and inspirational. We have fun doing it. And that really kind of dovetails with just where we feel like as an organization, we're trying to help move the needle on this faith and work conversation. We want to, on one hand, equip and serve churches, which includes even the pastors of those churches, to feel like, oh yeah, how do I message and teach and preach with this idea of work as a part of the discipleship, as a part of my message, as a part of my sermons. And so we've created content that way. We're trying to also, though, reach right into the lives of a business person and say, hey, you're in the battle every week. Can we help encourage and equip you to be more faithful and more intentional in your leadership? So it's, it's at the church level and it's at the business person level. And, and you know, you asked about trends. I, I, I think, thankfully, there are there's more and more receptivity to just the overall idea of faith and work. Fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to say it, I mean, it's moving the right direction, but I don't know if you would say it's arrived yet. You know, again, we do this work conference, but we also did a marriage conference last year, and we probably had five times the number of attendees that attended the marriage conference than the work conference. So that just, you know, is a reminder that, okay, from a felt need standpoint, the, 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 the church at large still is drawn to a marriage conference more than they're drawn to a work-based conference. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done to say, how do you make the idea of your faith and your work um, an integral part of discipleship and not just kind of a side thing? You know, how do you make it an everyday thing and not just like an international missions conference at a church that happens once a year and you think about it once a year? How do you make it a part of every day? And again, there are churches that are moving that way and we're real encouraged by that, but there's a long way to go for that to become a natural part of just the church's vernacular or just the regular business person's, you know, thought process and mindset. Yeah, I'm very encouraged by a lot of the things that we see at the CEO level of uh, CEOs and corporate responsibility now thinking about their role in the communities being not just responsible to shareholders. And I'm very hopeful that that trickles down, right? That through employee resource groups, it trickles down that the workplace actually becomes someplace that people can express their faith with each other and learn from each other. And we're seeing some, you know, interesting things that are coming out of that. Um, and we've had a number of guests on that have, uh, that are pushing. With faith-driven employee resource groups, for instance. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. So uh, I think there's even going to be a more fertile audience and receptivity to the things that you're doing and, and hopefully, you know, to our listeners. Yeah. And I agree. And I would say, too, I mean, just on that note, yes, there are more what I would just call kind of bold pioneering Christians in the business world. They're saying, yeah, this can be a part of how I how I live and how I interact and how I make decisions. And, and I'm thankful for those folks because they are paving the road and they're making it easier for other business people to say, oh, and, and going back to the stories, that's the power of stories. You know, when a business person sees another business person talk about how their faith has intersected and impacted their work, it's not prescriptive. It's not like the business person is saying you should go do steps one, two, and three. 
But I think when that business person watches that story or hears that story, there's just a bit of permission, you know, a bit of validity that says, oh, I, I can do something. Um, and so they just start to take steps that direction. And that's all it takes is for everybody to start to take a step in that direction of going, yeah, my faith should intersect, you know, how I lead and how I make choices and how I interact with my employees. And so if, if I can take a step that direction, even if it's a little step this year, it can start to snowball, you know, years after that as it just is more and more steps. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing, Brian. And as we come to a close, what we always love to do is go back to God's Word, which I think we all agree is a is a living document, and it's always fun to hear where God has our listeners. And so I'd ask you to maybe share, it could be this morning or before you got on the call today, maybe something God uh, showed you. It could be the season, something you've been meditating on or some book or passage that God could be taking you through. Uh, but it's amazing how God intersects the stories of our ho- of our guests with our listeners. And so if you would honor us with that, that'd be great. Yeah, happy to. I mean, it was, so it was actually, I, you know, I was just this morning, uh, I've been reading through Joshua and I'm not a Joshua expert, but I mean, there was, you know, long passages in Joshua where it's just talking about dividing up the land. And, and honestly, there's some passages in there where it's kind of like, okay, I, I'm kind of skimming here a little bit because it's just listing a city after city and, you know, kind of geographics. And, but then it, this morning uh, in chapter 21, the very last verse of Joshua 21 says, um, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. And, you know, after kind of slogging through some of the cities after city, tribe after tribe, got to that verse. It was such a refreshing verse to hear, um, not because that's directly aimed at me particularly, but just the goodness of God, that not one of his good promises to, to Israel failed. And so you just think, okay, um, if if that was true, you know, to the Israelites and to what God promised then, then just makes me wonder, what does he promise to me and what I should just expect that he's going to be good, you know, and that he's not going to fail. He's never going to fail. So I was just really encouraged by that this morning. It was kind of a little, um, you know, bright spot in the midst of some verses prior to that that were just not as impactful. And so all of a sudden it was like, okay, there's some gold right there in the midst of that. Um, so this morning that was super inspirational. And, and then I guess just maybe if I could add one other thought to that also seasonally, been a part of a group that's kind of been an encouragement to me, kind of like I mentioned earlier, just peers, you know, kind of helping you walk and, and um, strive through life. And and one of the topics and themes that have come up a lot here recently for this little group is this idea of just abiding, you know, kind of the John 15, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so are we abiding you know, with Christ? And I confess, I don't know if I fully wrap my mind and heart around what it fully means to abide, but um, but was just encouraged by that thought of, okay, in the busyness of my day or in the busyness of my world, am I abiding? And I love what one of the guys I was talking to was reminding us. He's like, you know, certainly it can be a time in the morning where you're just abiding with Christ, but but it should be a throughout the day thing. You know, it should be in front of every meeting or a conversation. Is there even just a moment of reference going, God, I'm abiding with you in this conversation, so help guide and direct me, and then away we go. And so, I, again, I, I'm still wrestling with what that really could and should look like for me, but it's a theme that's been on my mind. It's a word that's been on my mind a lot here in recent weeks is just abiding. You know, what does it really look like if I was abiding throughout my day um, and not just kind of giving God some lip service in the morning and then the rest of the day is mine? And so working through that, but I, I just love that idea of what it would really, really look like if I was abiding. As we come to the close of this week's episode, we'd like to spotlight a ministry that is locking arms with faith-driven entrepreneurs. This week, we want to share about our friends at Right Now Media at Work. They're on a mission to help your team flourish in every area of life, wherever life takes you. 
with their app of more than 20,000 on-demand videos on topics like leadership and teamwork and professional development from leaders like Patrick Lencioni, Liz Bohannon, and John Acuff. Thousands of businesses like Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, Interstate Batteries, and even the United States Air Force chaplains are using Right Now Media at Work to serve their teams. You can learn more about Right Now Media at Work by visiting them at rightnowmediaatwork.org. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.